Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. Merciless fundraising. Merciless. It's back. (laughs) It's back. Last year, Merciless Fundraising and Thoroughly Considered led to the single largest donation as part of the campaign. So last year's top donor was a Merciless Fundraising donor. Dan, what is Merciless Fundraising? Oh, boy. Uh, You coined the term, so. I I guess I did. To me, it is strategies to extract the most money out of people as possible Mm -hmm. and doing that in a way that doesn't feel gross because it's for charity and not for your capitalist enterprise. So it's like if we did some of these things for studio neat, it would feel bad. But when the end result is donations for childhood cancer treatment and research, then it's like, Oh, let's like, Try to steal everyone's money <laughs> as, as much as we swindle can. them. Yeah, you hear that, dear really listener? Swindle no, them. No Prepare yourself. No uh, so last year, what did we did like a like a raffle for a couple of limited edition pens, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this time, it's going bigger, better, bolder, further than ever, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So do you want to explain what thoroughly considered listeners need to do? Sure. Let's do this. So what, what we are offering this year is a special limited edition Mark one that is not, uh, it's not a previous limited edition. It's its own standalone limited edition that is just for this raffle Mm -hmm. and potentially we might revisit it in future raffles, but it's only going to be like a St. Jude Mm -hmm. specific Mark one edition. This is a stainless steel Ooh. Mark one. Like the Apollo, yes. right? The Apollo well, was like stainless steel. Like the Apollo. Steel. Yeah. Well, similar. Similar. And uh, because gold is the official childhood cancer awareness color, it will be gold PVD yeah. uh, coated. Mm-hmm. So the body is has like a more of a matte like bead blasted finish and then the knock is polished but they're both gold pvd coated yeah and it's we've never done a bead blasted finish on anything or mark one and it's cool because it makes it look kind of matte like the normal cerakote mark one but it's like metallic um and so it does look very good it looks and feels really good it is very cool mm-hmm. uh, can i cool. put this image in our show notes so people will be able to go and take a look at it oh so yeah they can lust after it yeah sure <laughs> so we're gonna have five of these uh up for raffle uh plus one actually which i'll explain in a minute so the the way to enter the raffle is you go to stjude.org slash relay make a donation your donation has to be at least $20 $20 buys you one ticket 
as it were, into the raffle. And every increment of $20 is another ticket. So if you donate $100, that's five entries into the raffle. Uh, you must write thoroughly considered in the... There's like a notes field, right? Yes. Or a memo field or something. Yes. So you need, you need to write that in the notes field... No double dipping. <laughs> so if you, if this is part of the merciless part, if you made a donation previously, you got to donate again. This needs yep. to be a fresh, thoroughly considered, specific donation. And then lastly, there is an additional pen that will be awarded to the person who donates the highest amount Again, with that thoroughly considered note in the field. So if oh. you donate if you donate a lot of money, A, you're buying yourself a lot of tickets into the raffle, but you might end up being the highest contributor where you would just get a pen straight away. That is very cool. They also have to email you, right? Oh, yes. So after you make your uh, contribution, then send an email to hello at studioneat.com yep you can forward uh, your receipt like for, yeah forward yep. your receipt yes yep. so I want to wrap this up okay so from when you've heard this episode may, you can make a donation if it's before this episode thank you for your donation at stjude.org slash relay but it does not enter you into the Willy Wonka raffle we've got going on <laughs> over here if somebody gets one of the Goldmark ones do they get a tour of the studio <laughs> factory we, we, sh- we can make that happen for sure <laughs> and one of do one does one of the five owners of the Goldmark one get to take over the factory from the, from you or uh, that, we'll see we'll see I mean we'll who see. knows right <laughs> they get something <laughs> but they get well they get the Goldmark one right so okay I know but so. it feels like it should be a key one of them is guaranteed to get uh, sucked into a chocolate river and sucked up a tube. <laughs> that is guaranteed. a studio needs guarantee. All right. If, if that's what you've been looking for in your life, now there's a way to get it. Okay, so after you've heard this episode, after the date this episode has been published, send you slash relay. Make a donation. $20 is one entry. You can donate as much as you like. The more dollars you donate, the more entries you get. So you, but you don't have to do singular donations, right? Of twenty dollars, you can do it if you want to. But that's please weird. don't do that. <laughs> yeah, because that's more work. Please donate yeah. <laughs> as much as you want, but twenty dollars per entry. When you've made that donation, make sure you put thoroughly considered in the notes field. Like there's like a notes field that you can put in when you make a donation. Then forward that email receipt to hello at studioneat.com, Right? H e l l o. H e l l o. Hello at studioneat.com. Then you are entered in. But if you are the top donor with with thoroughly considered in the notes field, you will automatically get one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so don't leave it to chance. Dear listener, you might feel manipulated right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> you might feel, hey, that's a little too strong of a sell. Mm-hmm. You know what? You should feel guilty about that feeling. Do you know want to know why? Because... fighting child... But cancer. Because cancer kills more children under the age of 14 than any other disease. And that is a horrifying statistic. But because of generous supporting, like you will be doing, St. Jude creates more clinical trials for pediatric cancer than any other children's hospital in the U.S. And in 2021, one of those exact trials reported a more than 20-point improvement in survival rates for high-risk neuroblastoma, which is the second most common solid tumor in children. And they did it using an antibody produced at the St. Jude campus. So that money 
is going to saving the lives of children. And as we mentioned, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and it's an opportunity for us to come together in the fight against childhood cancer because together we can make a big impact. So please go to stjude.org slash relay to donate, and you can take advantage of the merciless fundraising as brought to you by Studio Neat and thoroughly considered. <laughs> stjude.org slash relay. I have no idea, by the way, if this is appreciated, <laughs> but, yeah, but, but we're doing it anyway. It's good. Feels good. But I don't feel guilty. No, I, it's I think great. there might be people out there who should feel guilty, but I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're mad, you should feel bad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's the real message we're trying to send here. <laughs> but you have a new product again, because you guys can't be stopped, right? <laughs> Just, can't be it's stopped. true. It can't be stopped. <laughs> What is it? We have been working on a dock that would support a Apple Watch, an iPhone, and AirPods for, I don't know, four years or something. We've been <laughs> like thinking that that would be a good idea and went through a ton of iterations. Uh, well, we did. Like, we had. You have we it. had one. You have one. Yeah. I own it. So it's on my bedside table. So I don't, I, I'm sorry to tell you, you already do it. I'm <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Upright. Upright. There phone. you go. Yeah. Upright phone <laughs> is the magic. Is the magic third part of that? But um, I don't know why it took so long for us to get there. I mean, I know part of the reason, but it's definitely felt like we've been trying to do this for a really long time. <laughs> A really, really long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and MagSafe was a real. When was MagSafe introduced? Like 2020, or no? Or was it just last year? No, it was two years ago. It It was was with iPhone 12, 2020. Yeah, yeah, and that was a real. It was exciting, an exciting moment for us because it's like we have these docks and. Our first iteration of the docs, it was uh, all we were providing was wood and cork and, you know, some screws and stuff. And you bring your own lightning cable and Apple Watch charger and you kind of fit them in to this dock to charge your stuff. So you can think of the material docks as like cradles for your cables to position your devices in such a way where it's just much nicer and looks nice on your nightstand and all this stuff. And then when Qi became a standard, we started to move in that direction with these kind of hybrid docks, whereas the the aforementioned three-in-one, it had a lightning charger that you would provide, and there was the Apple Watch puck that you would also provide. But then there was this Qi wireless charger that we built into the dock. So this was kind of our first foray into, you know, having electronics and such in, um, you know, RIP OB. We didn't get to do it there. So this is our first... Uh, 1,000 true cat fans. Exactly. Didn't get it. <laughs> didn't get it. Um, and so we were doing that and that was fine and that worked, but it did introduce this element of like complexity for sure and then like failure you know, if the component fails, it's, you know, we have to be replacing that. And there was a whole QA process for testing these and stuff. And so the MagSafe was introduced and it was kind of like, oh, I wonder if we can just kind of go back to the design intent of 
let's just make a cradle for your, you know, existing cables and chargers and make it, make them positioned really nice. And it looks really nice and it kind of all fits together and works. And then we're now getting to remove this electronics component that a, we didn't even really like doing, but B MagSafe was better than it, like at faster charging speeds and, you know, obviously the magnetic aspect of it and such. So, we were happy to get away from that, but it actually took us a while to fully in the design process to fully move away from that. Like we had designs that were kind of this half and half where it had like a MagSafe upright, but then it had a Qi module, you know, tucked behind. And, but eventually we were just like, this is, this is not making sense. Like we need to go back to the basics and back to kind of where we started and they feel much better now. And it feels like a really coherent, product line now so we're we're pretty psyched to get these out finally metal <laughs> it's in there metal. that's different right <laughs> like it's it's like, yeah, that is different. a design change i think in yes. the aesthetics of they... the material dock which has been wood and cork like wood and cork that's the yeah yeah and we went back and forth a long time for a while there that the like we call it the lollipop the piece that is like standing up that the that holds a phone like upright um, on these new two docks. Um, for a while, it was actually a cork. It was like this cork mm-hmm. lollipop shake shape. <laughs> um, that sounds disgusting. And- a cork lollipop <laughs> shake. <laughs> yeah, you know mm. the, the cork shake. Um, and we eventually went away from it just because there was. It just didn't end up feel like looking right like we couldn't get the cork thin enough to not kind of feel like frumpy or like kind of weird and Mm -hmm. the reason we were really trying to figure out this cork design problem was we just didn't want to add another material like we're like yeah we don't want to do another one but then we eventually like stepped back and we're like but wait there's tons of aluminum on this thing anyways because there's apple magsafes on it and white and so we kind of let ourselves like let go of this like it's got to be cork we can't have another material we kind of let go and like really tried it and then after we tried it and did some iterations we're like actually this is fine and looks good and it like solves a lot of problems for us so we yeah we ended up adding a third material um clear anodized aluminum which you know matches apple stuff and there's not it's not super present on, I mean, when you look at it, it's definitely there, but it's not like this huge piece of aluminum or something. So, so yes, that was a big change uh, for sure. But I think we, I think we got away with it. And we actually, a cork got completely eliminated when we realized like if you, we were using our, you know, the micro suction tape to that is what is adhering the, the MagSafe to the lollipop piece. Uh, but if you have that stuck to cork and then you try to take the oh. MagSafe off, it'll just rip off the cork. cork. It'll stay stuck to the MagSafe. And so it was like, oh, we can't have good. that happening. So we, we could so have, we, like, we could have tried, we could have, like, put a piece of aluminum in the cork and, like, right. really yeah, overcomplicated we looked at that. it. Yeah. 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 But it was just, like, no, no dice. So, and we I would here. imagine, you know, there is like a just a strength benefit to the aluminium for supporting the phone, right? That like, yeah. if you wanted to have the cork thin enough, well, we had well, 
the design was actually that we had this custom bent piece of wire molded into the cork. So it was strong from like a bending point of view. Right. It was really strong. <laughs> but it was literally just the surface. Like you would just pull the surface of the cork off, if that made mm-hmm. sense, if you're like undoing your phone. So, yeah. But it, it, it was complex. I mean, the cork thing was like, honestly pretty complex i'm like happy we didn't have to really really solve that problem like we solved it 95 percent, but that yep. last bit it was just like oh this is gonna be hard i yeah. know this is gonna be a problem yeah i think you've ended up with something that fits it fits i i would uh, like wonder like would you ever maybe consider moving away from wood and cork like now that you're you know like is there a possibility do you think for like a different design or like you two of you just like really like that aesthetic i I do i I like it really i really like it for things that feel monolithic like it's this magic material much like felt to me where it's very honest what it is it's like here's this block of something that feels organic um Mm -hmm. and so I like it. And I have a real problem with wood on wood connections. So like one option would have been to make that lollipop that's aluminum now wood. But when wood, one piece of wood is going one way and the other piece is going the other way and the grains aren't matching and the woods won't match. I just, I don't like that. And so, and Dan, like mostly I think agrees with me, maybe not as like strong viscerally, (laughs) but, uh, and so that that was always a little bit on the table, but not. And so the thing I like about cork is it's a way to do an organic or solid shape that's a different material than wood that has nice contrast and it still feels organic. Sure. And so, um, yeah, I still think molded cork is something we'll use when necessary because um, it's just, I don't know, it's just lovely in my opinion. I like um, it. I mean, I, I like the wood and the cork for something that's going to you know, it goes in the bedroom for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah. I think the whole premise of these docs back, I'm trying to think when we first launched the first ones, 2015 or, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, yeah, that's kind of the premise is like, we don't want to, we don't want to make it out of, you know, the entire dock out of like steel and glass and all these materials that the devices are made of. Like it just provides a nice, kind of calming contrast uh and then plus it it looks it it like it doesn't look like a tech product you know like we're not making a uh i I don't know what brand to reference here but you know you see tons of docks that are like plat either black plastic or uh or metal or yeah belkin or or whoever and it's like that's not what we're doing that's that's not the intent that's not the premise and so you can get them there's enough out there for you right like yeah yeah plenty of options yeah Yeah. Gotta say, though, gotta give a hand out to the true MVP, which is dance stop motion work. Oh, man. You are getting (laughs) beyond good, like beyond where you need. Like this video you made, I don't know how you did this. Lots of Photoshop. <laughs> like, I, but like, you know, how do you get the, the phone floating up in there? How do you do that? Yeah, that was. Yeah, it's. I mean, you. I build a uh, a little scaffolding or, or a little uh, prop, a little stand for it, and then and then you have images that 
don't have that in it that you can use to kind of clone brush or Photoshop out, uh, you know, the stand to leave Mm. just the phone. And it's kind of a, there's some things I do where I'll like make a mistake and it's like, Oh, I wish I would have done it this way, but I always like having the object. So, so like I will animate, I will stop motion animate the phone on the stand thing that uh, that ultimately needs to be removed like photoshop that sliding into the scene and you might argue well gosh couldn't you just like have a cutout of the phone in photoshop and just like animate that or an after effects or whatever but i'm always very cognizant of the little details that i'm not seeing but that are actually there um if you're doing it in a practical way by having it actually in the scene so for example reflections shadows like the scene changes in subtle ways when the phone is there that um that you might not pick up on but actually makes a big difference but that being said i this was probably the most extensive like shadow work i've ever done in a product because the way i built the the stands and the scaffolding and stuff like none of the shadows that should have been there were preserved like there was no way to kind of cut around them and then fix them so all of the shadows that are underneath the objects are like artificially added Mm -hmm. after the fact and so that was like kind of a new uh a new thing for me to try and i think it i mean i think it's fine i think it works I have to watch it back for shadows now. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good, though. It is good. Thanks. It is good. So, it has been how many years now since you did this XOXO talk? Is it 10 years? 10 years this month. Oof. So, this is a really great uh, thing that you you brought to the, to the table this time. I think it was you, Dan, that recommended this. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I watched this XOXO talk yesterday in preparation for today's episode. And I had a bunch of notes and some questions I wanted to ask you. But let me know, do you have a particular way that you wanted to approach this topic? Not necessarily. I mean, I think the premise was it's been 10 years since we gave this talk. And the format of the talk was here are 15 things we've learned, you know, starting up this Kickstarter indie business. Um and so the idea was to revisit that talk and see if there is what has stuck or what we would maybe redo or uh-huh. change or how how our thinking about some of these things has changed over the past 10 years. So how old was Studio Neat when you gave this talk? Two, Almost like two, two years. years. Yeah. That's funny. Because yeah. it feels like, you know, you're coming in there and you're like, oh, our really old business. We've learned so many things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> just all like, figured out. Obviously, you've gone through so much at that point, right? So it's mm-hmm. the Glyph mm-hmm. and the Cosmonaut, which is kind of incredible that it's been two, in two years, right? To get that. Yeah. Had the Cosmonaut delivered at that point? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, you know, that that is a lot that you went through during that quite short well i think also yeah. the real context that was important is it was kind of the first time it had really happened like period in that way like a small group of people making this physical product like mm-hmm. on the internet because of the internet because of kickstarter and so it's not like we were saying like oh we're the only ones here's the secret but it was just like there's this new thing happening yeah, it's like, pretty crazy you know, and also it's, it's worth remembering Maybe we don't touch on it enough. Maybe we touch on it too much. I don't know. But you guys were like a really big deal on Kickstarter then, right? 
Like the mm-hmm. glyph, the glyph was the highest fundraise at one point. Is that correct? Uh, not. It was, the highest, it was the highest. It, it was the highest like physical product. Right. And I think we were like the number three most funded project ever. Mm-hmm. It, like you know, it, it, right when it ended, and then yeah. it was like very quickly surpassed quickly. by. Yeah. <laughs> but still, it was yeah. still a watermark. Yes, at yeah. the time, like a big, big deal, and the Cosmonaut also, like both of these campaigns, mm-hmm. a really big deal. My initial thought um, is, was look at these babies. Yes, <laughs> which so was, much hair. It was very funny <laughs> to me. It lots of hair, tiny glasses, but a few very yeah. small, very small spectacles. Uh, and initially, just the funny thing of like the microphones cannot work, right? Yeah, yeah. None of the microphone stuff is work. Like, Tom's too quiet. Dan is, like, busting everyone's eardrums. This is nothing to do with the two of you, right? You've just set up. Yeah, and, like, they had not well, planned we the for two people talk. on stage, right? No, yeah. We were the was first not... talk of the conference. But so. it, they'd done it before, though, right? No. No, this is the first very first, first XOXO. Talk. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Wow, I thought that they'd done a, a smaller one somewhere else because I came to the next year and was right. it was in that location. Yeah, I so you, yeah. Wow. yeah, so this was the first year at that first location. This was the one where you bought your ticket on, on Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Yeah, look at you guys. First, first talk in the first XOXO. <laughs> boy, oh boy, you really were a big deal back then. You know what I mean. Tell me about it. Not that you're not a big deal <laughs> in the now, past. Now, <laughs> so one thing I'd forgotten, which is it is also kind of funny to me, considering it was two years. I forgot that you'd written a book, mm-hmm. and it is really <laughs> funny that, that you've been around for two years and you wrote a book. Like I don't yeah, know, man. there's just something really cute in that to me, right? Like <laughs> we know it all. <laughs> yeah, totally a late twenties mode. Yeah, yeah. It, but like you know, there's still. It's just funny. It's just funny because, yeah. but looking at this talk, right? And there is some stuff that I think we can go over and be like, is that still true? But there's a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff in there that is still really, really good advice from people that had been, you guys have been absolutely put through it in two years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like the, it's, it was a real crash course in building a product business. Mm-hmm. Like it was never supposed to go this way, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. and I, yeah, I, I mean, I think for the context, it was you know, it was definitely. I don't think I would change things for the context. Obviously, there's things no. now that because it's a different context, but mm-hmm. like it did, it felt like pretty simple advice in a lot of ways. Not like we're yeah. like. You know. Yeah, and we're you know we're obviously joking around about this idea that we're like we've been there for two years and we're like these gurus on the mountaintop like dispelling uh, or you know giving all of our knowledge and expertise, but really it was, and this was kind of exemplified by the XOXO conference itself or whatever is there was just this awesome culture and vibe around this type of thing of just being really open and sharing yep. and this was like a time when blogs actually mattered and <laughs> you could uh people would just share it they would spill everything you know in blog posts of like here's how we did this i mean we were standing on the shoulders of people that came before us like i remember craig Maud had a super useful a blog post about how he used Kickstarter for mm-hmm. his uh, art space Tokyo book project. And so 
the culture of like sharing is I think what we were kind of tapping into uh, with with the talk and obviously the uh, the book. And it was like XOXO then. I mean, I said I, I attended in the second year and I attended some years afterwards. Mm-hmm. But the experience I had in that the second year when it was also in that space, it was still really small, was quite profound mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. hey, people are making it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. people have ideas and they're putting them on the internet and they're building businesses from them. Mm-hmm. And like then I think after that XOXO, like it changed, like it's what it was – because. They kind of for the years after was like, hey, people are really depressed about about their <laughs> online businesses yeah. and like, <laughs> you know, and and it's like, look, and trust me, I feel that right. Like, I'm not criticizing, but it was just there was this window in time where it was exciting, and then there yeah. was a place in time where it was like it's difficult to do this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. there was like, like one year PG. where three, yeah. I think three talks were it seemed to accidentally all be about how depressing Twitter can be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it just—it just all started ahead of the curve on that one. Yeah. So. But that's just like it's like a change in um, what was around at the time, and and in 2012 and 2013, it was very much like, hey, there are these new ways to have a business, and that business can be exactly what you guys are talking about in this of like, we run this business, we've sold to like we've had our product in over a hundred countries. And we haven't had to do any of the things that you would typically imagine somebody would have to do to have their business be that way, right? That, like, we don't need factories all over the planet. We don't need teams of hundreds managing it. Like, it it was then that idea of, like, things are changing to where we are now. Like, you know, you're calling out these companies like Warby Parker like they're a new thing. And mm-hmm. now there are Warby Parker stores all over the world, right? Right, yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. things have changed since then, but it was new then, right? And it was exciting mm-hmm. then. Yeah, it, sure. went, mm-hmm. it, it was totally idealistic and totally, oh my gosh, do you, have you guys heard that this is possible? Like that was the whole, especially the first year, it was like, uh, you, you guys like know this is possible, right? And so that was just like so exciting. And like, of course, that eventually turns into... Uh, well, it's possible, but it can be difficult and it's not for everyone, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of luck involved, et cetera. But yeah, that first one or two years of XOXO, you're right. It was just like, it was like Sermon on the Mount. Like, it was just like, guys, g- g- did you know? Did you know? Yeah. And so it was a really, the energy around it was just really, uh, really fun and awesome. And I mean, we still, I mean, I think this has worn off some, but for the first like half of Studio Needs, so history so far it was a kind of this like uh, like disbelief of like mm-hmm. we really is this really happening are we really doing this because it was <laughs> we were still like there was not very many people doing what we were doing and so it was just like is this real and so we were and during that this talk like we were definitely stewing in that like i guess this is real <laughs> you know kind of yeah. thing there was one thing that you mentioned about like how you're just kind of your design idea for products and that thing has remained exactly the same and it's something that I think about too and I think so many people in our space do. And I have no doubt that a lot of my thinking on this is informed by knowing the two of you, which is if you have a problem, somebody else has the same one. And about mm-hmm. that being just like a if you th- if you if there is a thing that you think could be better and you know a way to do it, other people will want that. 
And like, that's something that I've really taken to heart too with the products that I've been exploring for Cortex brand of like, if I think I can do something or if I think there's a value in something and I can make something that fulfills that, there will be other people that want it. I mean, you've got to find them, but. It's true. Sure. And I, I would still give that exact, I, and still do give that exact advice to people. Yep. Um, it's great advice. There's tons of caveats associated with that, but I think that having faith being able to have faith in that because you can find the communities of those people on the internet was the kind of a little bit of the game changer where it was like, wow, you, actually, let, let me just have faith in my, in my nerdy interests or whatever, which, which is, I think, still very much like what XOXO was about until, you know, the end. Like these kind of internet subcultures and nerd culture, people waking up to that fact that that's there's actually quite big uh, and usually people are like disparate but now they're all like you know can come together and so yeah that that is still very true like still we still and now i think we just really have internalized that like we just have a real strong faith in in that statement and so it does we don't really i would say one thing that we have changed in terms of that side of the product design process is I don't think we don't question as much anymore, like, do people want this? Um, we definitely question, like, is it good? Like, is it really good? Are we deluding ourselves? But I don't think we do the, well, we want this. Does someone else want it? I don't know, Dan, what do you think? Do you, do you feel like we... I, they used to plague us, I feel like, way more mm. in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, one thing I was going to say is that, yeah, I think the, like, scratch your own itch is still uh like the that's still a guiding light for us for sure we have we but i think compared to you know 2012 we are willing to make things that maybe we ourselves don't use but they're uh we know there's an audience for them or we know our audience for them and usually this is just in the context of like a variation of something we make so like for example the tote books, it's like a tote book mini I probably personally won't ever use, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have made it. Like we don't it doesn't have to pass the test where like every single thing we make is for us specifically. That's more just like a launching off point. Uh but the thing that sense. matters is that we can feel like we can inhabit the like uh, imaginary like end user right like mm -hmm, i can mm -hmm. really inhabit who would be using a tote book mini and so therefore i can design honestly for it i think if we were doing something that we just really didn't have any familiarity with and had didn't have a way to really step into the shoes of someone that would use it i think it would be really hard for us we don't have a design process for that basically and so i mm -hmm. think when you're small and little trusting that familiarity that you have with things is like a huge huge advantage uh, rather yeah. than trying to right yeah i mean i remember when i was at frog like doing a proper like having a real job and <laughs> doing like a proper design process it's like oh yeah there's like all this user research and you have these like psychographics and you do uh surveys and stuff and there's all this like front-loaded research which is crucial for designing you know systems and products and services for like people that aren't you and so it really yeah it does 
uh, simplify the process when you can eliminate all that by just being like, well, do we like this? And then, you can use your intuition. Uh, like, yeah. You can use your intuition, yeah. which is like yeah. a huge, huge thing, I think. Yeah. But, you know, like for a large company, like for Argus, like it's impossible for them to have intimate knowledge of every type of product that they might be creating a design for, right? So that's exactly. when you need to lean into, we've got to collect this information from elsewhere and try and use it to guide us. But, you know, like what you're saying about the, the like the, say the tote book mini, but you know the tote book, right? So like yeah. you've done most mm-hmm, of the work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Like if if the original idea for the tote book was let's create a small notebook that I would never use, right? <laughs> right, that, that's not going to work in the same way, right? Like yeah, yeah, you know where it's like say for I don't know, yeah, I think that's you you've got the basic idea down. You've done all the hard work, I think, of the design of the tote book, like how that comes together, what paper you use, how is it design on the inside like that's the the hard part putting it in different form factors isn't the hard part like it's not i feel mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. anyway because yeah. you've understood the majority of it that yeah i think the uh, maybe the have the fact that the mark ii has a clip might be a more interesting example where i personally don't need the clip and i don't use the clip mm-hmm. and the idea of this like little bullet shaped thing that is, you know, clipless and smooth and goes in your pocket. That is more appealing to me than the thing that we ended up making. And so I think that's maybe a good example of kind of like recognizing, okay, yes, Dan, you have this like quirk about this thing that you want, but if we're making this EDC pen, like the clip is part of the story and it ne- and like more people are going to want it that way. And it makes it the story more clear and it makes the product uh, more in line with what more people would want. And so that was like the proper direction to go in for that product. Even though if it's like my personal taste, it might diverge slightly. Yeah. I feel like, um, I'm already rolling my eyes at myself as I'm about to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> You're being true to what the item is. Like that's, yeah. that is the truth of that product, which is mm-hmm. if you are saying something should be a part of an everyday setup and mm-hmm. it should be like strong and tough and like a clip is part of that. Like that's what the, what, what users of that product expect from it. If you did not give it that, it would have harmed the item. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like if you would not have put a clip on the Mark II, less people would have bought it. I think. Mm. Yeah, probably, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah, hard to know. It's hard <laughs> to know. Yeah, but yes, but I think right. it's it was a good idea to do it. Like, yeah, yeah truly, yeah. you'll never know. Maybe there yeah. are people like us, right? The non-clip pocket pen people, and there's like millions of us, but like we just <laughs> we're just too scared to say it, and like you would yeah. have finally found its audience. <laughs> However, like I, I think it was the right decision to do that for that item, and yeah, that is the change, right? Because that's when you're operating on a different kind of scale now to then, where like you have multiple products, and sometimes you've maybe got to make decisions for them that are better for them, not necessarily what you would use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, we it. are constantly putting on like when we're evaluating a product, or especially in the beginning, we're we're trying to put on as many hats as we can. It's not like we, you know, it's like oh, it's only what we want, but it I, I really think it just comes down to being able to like trust our intuition on things because we're close enough to the product and who would use it, so that like that's there because. Mm. 
we could from afar like analyze like you know you could be like hey tom i'm designing this tractor like what should i do i could you know probably make some pretty good decisions but it's pretty different than being able to visual visualize myself sitting in like the canopy or cockpit of a of a tractor and like really immediately be there and so i think that's the difference that um we rely on as being a really small studio is being able to kind of know what it's like to sit in like a tractor canopy without having to like rent a tractor for a month and use it you know what i mean like we just we're not there right and so i think that's the that's the kind of difference that makes a difference mm-hmm. one of the things that made me smile and i wonder what you think about this now simplicity is a business goal was the thing that you were mm-hmm. talking about, the idea of the business just being the two of you and you didn't want that to change and like that seemed pretty important then. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, now I, now you have employees. Yeah, I think I think when I think about that statement, I think it is I think simplicity is still a business goal, but it is not the business goal. I think for us it ends up actually being products are the business goal. Like we are willing to change our business structure for the products if they need it. And so I th- I don't think we would have had that language or understanding back then. Um, but I think slowly Dan and I have realized that, oh, we might have these constraints that we have like built up. But if we have like a product that we're working on and excited about and it's got, it does something, we are willing to blow like a price point out of the water or... Uh, like a hard business structural problem or whatever to make it work. Like, for instance, if we made a product that would change the way we have to do fulfillment, we would probably do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess we did kind of do that in some ways already. So I, I think this has changed. I mean, simplicity as a business goal, as one of the things, is still something we should probably actually think about more, honestly. Um, but But I would say that it's become a little bit more clear that I think like product first is maybe kind of overshadowed that. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think we actually articulate this in the, uh, in the talk where we talk about we are designers and that's what we should be spending our time doing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so we make these uh, gestures at, you know, like keeping overhead low. And if it's just the two of us, then we have this like agility for decision making and and focus and all these things. But um, if that starts to break down, which it which it has in the form of like building out our product lines where we're being pulled away from focusing on design, then, you know, something needs to change. Uh, and so I think we're still kind of keeping the spirit of this alive in terms of like we need to be designing things, not assembling things or shipping things or whatever, but that can be achieved in a multitude of ways. Like you could outsource the, uh, you know, the, uh, the order fulfillment, but you could also bring it in house. And as long as we're not doing it personally, like if we hire people to do it, that's still the same thing. And that we're, it's not a task that we're, uh, you know, that we're doing personally. So I think there's like lots of ways to approach this. And, but I agree with Tom that, uh, we should kind of always be thinking about this and optimizing for it because I think it is a good uh, a good goal. On the simplicity side, there was one item from later on in the talk that I've actually been really 
interested to talk about? Do you, do you have any idea which one I might want to talk about here? The uh, something that we talk about later in the talk, mm-hmm. and I think ties mm. in quite nicely with the simplicity and the changing in simplicity. Mm. Made in America. Oh, mm. yeah. If only <laughs> there's a there's a big part of the talk about like. Made in America, why it's important, how it makes things easier, that it's possible to do, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. This Still feels true. very much like uh, <laughs> uh, was definitely true for the things you were doing. Yeah. But you weren't yet aware of the things that you weren't making. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. No, I think this is the best example of what we were talking about earlier where it's like, oh, you were only two years old when you gave this talk. Like there's uh, some things you can't make broad generalizations for the like limited experience we had so far. And this Mm -hmm. is probably one of the ones that, uh, falls victim to that. But uh, the points we made are still true where it's like, if you can make something in America, boy, is it, a lot Better. easier for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will uh, asterisk that and say the country you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the country yeah. you're in. Just look closer to you, the better. Like, yeah. yeah, more closer regional. You, the better. Yeah. Local, yeah. That is still very true. And I, I don't, I, in four years from now, maybe we're all back in the US somehow. Like, I, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's a fluid thing and we are evaluating it. Like, for instance, we actually are considering trying out making the mark one in japan um Hmm. just to see we're gonna like we're gonna do like a little get a real quote and do a little trial um because it is there are just it's just there's just so many problems and so i would love for it to be true that we can get everything made in america but it's just like sometimes it's just so difficult to get people's attention and i think i think it's going to be very turbulent for the next while. Um, but I would not be surprised at all if in like five or 10 years, things have really changed in that department on the ground. So it is, it is a, uh, a huge thing, but like whenever we can, we absolutely like, I would say if you just parts, we still get most things made in the U S if you count everything that we make. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, some things it's just like, it's honestly hard to get the attention of the manufacturers. Yep. Weirdly. Yep. We've, I mean, we spoke about on the show before, I think when we first spoke about Made in China, I think we had an episode kind of um, focused on that. Mm -hmm. And we've both had this issue where we've gone to manufacturers and they just straight up turn you down. Yeah. No, I don't want to make your thing. Why? Which makes sense. It's not interesting. It's just like, but, but, (laughs) you know, there are, there are a lot of, there are places elsewhere, China being one of them, and they're more willing. It can be issues in its own way, then, right? Like, because then there can be quality problems, there can be uh, uh, communication issues. I know it can be a big, a big problem. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it is a sign, like, it's a, I think it is a sign of how complexity differed for you over time, right? Mm-hmm. Where, mm-hmm. like, things became, ideas that you had became more expensive to produce mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and or more complicated to produce. And, you know, making them in America just wasn't really an option. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand true fans. A thousand true fans. Do you still believe in this idea? Oh, yeah. To me, it's just a uh, a way of talking about 
Well, there's a couple of ways, I guess you can think about it, but one way is just finding a niche Mm -hmm. and you don't have to, I mean, to me, just like that graph that we show, that's like the Kevin Kelly graph when he was proposing this concept is, uh, it's such a great way to think about it. And it's so reassuring where it's like, you don't have to have this mega viral blockbuster hit of a sensation to be able to have a business. There's this sweet spot on the graph where it's like, yeah, you need to have some success. You need to have some customers, but it's actually not as many as you think. And that to me is just such a comforting and reassuring concept. And I feel like every time we launch a Kickstarter project, we're kind of proving proving the theory true again and again so i'm still like fully on board with uh this being like a good way of thinking of this and i think it ties in really nicely if somebody's following the other principles that you've outlined right of like Mm -hmm. keeping things true and simple and like trying to keep the business from being too complicated like you know the thousand true fans thing doesn't work if you want to employ 500 people Right, mm-hmm. yeah, right. <laughs> then a thousand is not enough, right? But like, right. if yeah. if you if you're aiming to keep a business relatively small and support its you know, primary um, business owners, etc., maybe with a little extra, this thousand true fans thing super works, right? Mm-hmm. I think the word that's actually more important than the thousand is fans and like yeah. true fans. Like, yeah. I don't think you can have a corporation where there's a lot of true fans. I mean, there, there's some like Apple, right? But I think the thing is that relationship of mm-hmm. um, between the like quote customer and us, like we, I still believe and like the quip that we were more like a band that makes albums rather than like a company that makes products. And I think for a while, actually, I think probably cause we were busy with like young children is my guess. Um, I feel like we put less energy into like relate building relationships with our fans right Mm -hmm. and that is something we're definitely trying to get back on track to doing like having enough margin in the business mostly time margin where we can do some activities that aren't pure product design or assembly or something and it's about building that relationship and this is one of them right Mm -hmm. this podcast yeah oh for sure yeah absolutely it's like absolutely and so like that fans word is such a different frame to view the people we're designing for rather than customers. I mean, they're both like, we can have both, right? And we do have both. But that fan relationship, I think, is something unique that we can do that a lot of companies can't because we're small and we put ourselves out there, right? It's like Tom and Dan designing stuff. So mm-hmm. that is something that I feel like as the market has grown, grown more crowded with like, a lot of direct-to-consumer companies that might look like us from the outside in terms of like the kind of products they make and like the design and the branding, the actual like thing that's happening behind the scenes a lot of the time, not all the time, a lot of the time is completely not that. It's like a pretty, it's like some company owned by a conglomerate that has like VC money, right? It's like not authentic in that way. And so I think the fact that we are still like, like you know some human beings that are identifiable making stuff for other human beings that we can identify is still a real superpower that we have and so i think this thousand true fans is like truer than ever it's kind of like our superpower the fact that we 
can have that one-to-one relationship-ish. And that that is something I we want to focus more on, actually, get back into that relationship more. I know mm-hmm. one of the things that's really important for me in that, and like, and I have no doubt you guys, I know you feel the same, but I just think it's important to to, to make a distinction. Like people that who I consider to be in the true fans of the stuff that I do, I'm still looking to give them a quality experience or product. Like I don't want people to just buy the thing or sign up for the thing just to support me. Mm-hmm. I want to give them something that's worth it. Yeah, yeah. it's two way. It's a two way yeah. street. It's a two, it's, I, it's, it, it, yeah. it it benefits everyone that way. But like, yeah. I just feel like it's an an important thing where I think some people could hear like the fan and support part and be like, "Yeah, well, you know, I just buy every studio and eat thing because I really like those guys and I want them to continue." <laughs> it's like right. that's super awesome, but I want you to come away from this feeling like you have something of worth. You know, totally, and that is like something. That is always, I think, a little bit scary in our minds. It's like, how much of, like, especially on a Kickstarter, right? It's like, how much of this is they want the product? Mm-hmm. And how much of is it they want to support us? And obviously, it's a combination. But it is mm-hmm. this thing that makes you question, like, wait, is this good or not? <laughs> you know, it's like, and and I think we're still... I think the answer to that is like, it's good. Like we feel good about it, but it is definitely, it complicates the relationship. Like on the other hand, if you had this like cold, hard uh, relationship with like the customers you were designing for, and it was very like numbers based, then I think you would know very honestly, like, is this good or not? (laughs) Because it would just Mm -hmm. like the numbers would be there to tell you. So that is something, but, um, but I wouldn't want it the other way. Right. I like, I like, the fact that you know we have someone to like to not let down basically you know like Mm -hmm. it keeps us honest i feel like and so it's really um it's good i like it but it is a little fraught Mm -hmm. some of the you know i've mentioned like there's there's parts of the talk that are just like so charming in a wholesome way like looking back (laughs) at them and one of them is the excitement of a 3d printing (laughs) there's just this like tom is just so it's like guys there's this thing <laughs> and you can like just make stuff. It's like, you know, and it's just, well, it's 10 years ago. Yeah. And 10 years ago, we were pretty early. it was yeah. novel and really expensive. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's still not, I, I, st- I still walk around, especially as my kids are getting older, being like, kids, you realize there's like machines in my office that can just like make whatever you want, right? Like, I don't think they still get. I don't think yeah. they get it. I yeah. I still think that three D printing has not um, really found its way in into culture like the the way as much as it should. Um, mm, mm-hmm. I think it's just a very a very powerful thing, and it you know, and as the three D printers get better and cheaper. You know, whenever that tips, I think it's going to be, it, it's going to be like the iPhone where people are like, can you remember when we didn't have a 3D printer to just like do blank or whatever? So I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's right. I don't, yeah, I don't, I think I would probably disagree with that premise. Uh, I think it's too complicated for somebody to go from, I want this thing to, I have this thing if it doesn't already exist. Right. You have to have be. skill to, to work that yeah out. and, and i think there's also like a certain 
uh, a certain understanding of like 3D space. And, no, okay. Yeah. Have you guys been on? Have you been on like? You probably haven't like Thingiverse or yeah, any of these I've, like. I've used to, what I'm mm-hmm. saying is like mm-hmm. that is the good thing, right? That like you can you can there if something. It's very likely that the thing exists, right? That yeah. someone has already mm-hmm. done it, and like that's mm-hmm. awesome. But if it isn't, like what I mean is like I think I think it would be really this would be really unlocked if if the path to I've had an idea to I can make the thing is simpler. But that's just I just don't think there's a way to do that. However, oh, over time, I think you're wrong. Yeah? I think just like right now, the thing that's coming online is like. You'll be able to, t- you talk to an AI or you, you know, type to an AI and like generates like super nice illustrations or photographs. Mm-hmm. That's going to come to 3D stuff too. You're like, I mean, that'd be amazing. my kid can yeah. be like, I want a Lego sword. I want it to have points. Can it be bigger on the bottom? Like, and it will just 3D model it. It's not that hard of a problem. And so I don't know. I could totally see things like that happening. I mean, the, like just the process of like going on like Thingiverse or one of these like open source 3D model websites and picking something. And then there's software right now that's like kids can use where they just can like modify the thing by like touching an iPad and like dragging stuff yeah. around. Yeah. Like I think that that is pretty crazy. Like it's pretty, uh, it's definitely nascent still, but I think that there's a certain amount of like autonomy that you learn when you're doing that, that I think is a really cool thing to learn. And I, 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 I think I'll, it will get better. I agree with you that it is difficult now, but I think it will get easier. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. I just think, I don't know, I haven't thought about it really enough to properly articulate, but like, I, I don't think they were ever going to become as ubiquitous as, say, like a paper printer in people's homes. That's probably uh, true. I, I think there's just a certain level of like, I mean, they're great and they're going to continue and more and more people are going to get them. But I, I think there's always this little, this DIY personality type that is going to be like too big of a barrier for... Mm-hmm. Some people, because it's like you want you could you you can already make whatever you want if you have a little bit of uh, DIY spirit or you know um, or like fixing problems you know with you know doing handiwork around this like for some reason the uh, the I don't know why this is like the canonical example in my head but it's like. Wouldn't it be cool if like a shower ring broke on your shower curtain? It's always and plumbing, you're just, right? Like, yeah, you're I just, always, like, it's always something like, plumbing related. <laughs> I always go to this too. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, you could just immediately three D print like a replacement, and then it's like yeah, sure. That's hypothetical example may like come to pass, but it just seems like there are going to be people that do that type of thing because there are DIY people now that watch YouTube videos and Mm. go to home Depot and can do all kinds of cool things or, or are handy and fixing their homes and stuff. I just think most people that's just not their vibe and not how they see the world. They don't see the world as something to be manipulated, I guess, which is sad and in its own way. But I think like the general population just, uh, that's not how they, 
how they go about living their lives, I guess. And also, I think as well, like that showering example, I think for so many people, including me, I just open my phone and go to Amazon and it will be right. there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Totally. Right. And, <laughs> and I think that that's one of the, like, if that didn't exist, then maybe people would be more willing to think about something like this. But it's like, yeah, uh, you know, I could just, I've got the part, I'll just go to Amazon and it's here yeah. in the morning. Yeah. It's tr- totally true. Was there anything yeah. else from the talk that, that either of you guys wanted to touch on that maybe jumped out of you? Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was hoping we could spend the next 20 minutes just talking about Louis C.K. for oh, a bit if we can. That was like one of those moments <laughs> I was like, oh, oh no. Uh, I actually do want to talk about this, that specific point. I mean, the context, if if you didn't watch the talk. And I would actually encourage people not to rewatch the talk. It's, Why? Uh I don't know. No, it's... I recommend people go watch it. I think it's really good. I no, enjoyed it. I, I had a good time. I'm not embarrassed. I had a good time. I, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> it's okay. Two against one. I guess go watch it. Um, <laughs> but we're uh, we're talking about uh, what he did. You know, he put his comedy special online. Five dollars, DRM free. You could buy it. Um, this is. Pr- I, I would say maybe the precedent to this was Radiohead. Um, putting in rainbows, in rainbows for sale yeah. with in the rainbows pay what you big want. One. Yeah. yeah. And so th- I was so convinced that it's like, this is the way, like, this is, this is so awesome. Like, again, it's the simplicity. It's like no DRM. You're not locked in. There's no ecosystem. It's like, just give us a small amount of money and then you can have this thing like case closed. And it's a little bit sad to me that this isn't really this isn't the way things are done now. I think, I mean, sure they are sometimes, but this isn't the widespread, like, Oh, we don't have, uh, like distribution, uh, things anymore. Like the example that popped into mind was like, I wonder why Bo Burnham, like put inside on Netflix instead mm-hmm. of like selling it himself for $5. Like he totally could have done that. He's a big enough name to where, he could have made a healthy amount of money, especially as the word of mouth spread and the buzz of like, oh, you got to yeah. see this special. But sometimes but he isn't did it easier to just know that you're going to get paid X amount, a million dollars and I, I, then not I have think to that's worry what, about it? I think that's exactly what it is. And I think that's why this hasn't become as widespread as I was uh, hoping, because it is a little bit of a risk. Like you only make as much money as how many you sell. And if it bombs, then you're out of luck. Whereas if inside bombed on Netflix, like Bo Burnham already has his money, you know, it doesn't, uh, it's fine. So like, and then, you, you know, know, maybe you the- don't get your next Netflix special, but that doesn't yeah. matter. Right. Like that doesn't matter so much because then maybe you can try and do that thing where you sell it on the next one on your own. Cause yeah. Or whatever. Well, but I, yeah. I wouldn't, you know, we should talk to people that aren't Bo Burnham uh, that have Netflix specials. Cause there might be some disgruntlement with just like, Hey, I had a Netflix special, but they didn't um, advertise it at all. Right. right and it was just yeah. buried in the list. Mm-hmm, and so it's mm-hmm. like, I think right, but that's, is, that's the difference. They still got paid though. Right. Like that's, that's they the still thing. got paid, but, <clears throat> but you know, maybe they didn't get paid that much. Right. It's yep. like, I think there is op- the same argument of like own the audience I'm not sure that that's shooken out. I think we definitely have gone through this phase right now where people like obviously Patreon and those things exist and they're awesome and they seem to be working pretty well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then Twitter, right? If you think about Twitter, it's like, wait a minute, you don't really own your audience anymore on Twitter because 
you actually don't even know if people see your tweets, right? Like yeah. Twitter owns the timeline. <laughs> and so, you don't actually know, even know of the people that followed you, how many people are still even on Twitter. Exactly. Like, you know, and so happens. I don't yeah. think that this battle's over. Like, no, I, I don't This either. battle between distribution from large centralized channels and like not is, is an open question. Uh, yeah. But it is interesting that it didn't just... Like it got fought back. Like the big institutions mm-hmm. fought back. They're like, right. no, no, hold on. We've been doing this distribution <laughs> thing for a long time. Like yeah. we can do this too, you know? So it is, it is an interesting, it is an interesting thing. I mean, you know, crypto wants to take that over too, which, you know, yep. who knows? But <laughs> so it's all, it's, I think this is definitely the battlefield um, th- to play on, you know, for the next decades. And so it is, it's still an open question. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, mean, you know, I, you I agree would say, with you. I would say I with writing, like, writing it's gone this way with Substack, right? Like Substack is a thing that existed not during our talk, but now exists. And that's a huge thing, I think, for people. Right, but then it's, that's still distribution. Because all of those people could just do that on their own, but they don't, they use Substack. Right? That's true, yeah. it is centralized. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But right, like it, this is the thing of like, I, I agree with you like that, and there are still elements of it kicking around, right? So Substack is still an element of it, right? Like, because mm-hmm. there are still, you know, they're not, unless you get a deal with them, they're not, uh, which is like a whole other thing, but they're not making it happen for you, right? Like, you still have to build that audience yourself by and large. Yeah. Um, but it yeah. is also an element of p- paving your own way. So I, th- I think it's it's a bit of to and throw, but like, it's not what we imagined was the idea of like, the internet will free distribution and we can just have our own, like we can put our own uh, uh, lemonade stand up and like people will just mm-hmm, come mm-hmm. and buy it. Like it didn't work yeah. like that because then everybody just started using the internet for distribution. And, you know, then yeah. we just bought a lot of TV shows from iTunes and then Netflix came along and it was like, this yeah. was way easier. And now there's everyone's got a streaming <laughs> service. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. But, there is still that, as you said, that, intern- that like that continual push and pull because then you get the comedian that didn't get a good jo- like deal from Netflix, so then they they do put their next show out on their own website and like you know it will just keep going backwards and forwards forever. I, I still yeah. think the trend though is going towards decentralized. Don't you think? You I, no. I don't mean in a crypto sense. I just mean like in like I don't. Uh, you don't think so? You think no? Because every time we get a little bit there big companies come in and try and take it away again yeah that's right true, so like but... look at podcasts right so now like this has become a thing oh podcast started to become successful for people so now every media company is trying to lock up podcasts in their own way mm-hmm. right like every time you get a little bit close so you, you know i i'm i'm talking completely with no like real knowledge here but we'll look at crypto i'm sorry but like you know (laughs) this is like this idea right okay so we're going to decentralize it well now there are all these big companies coming in and they're all trying to handle the decentralization for us right and it's like you you'll never we'll never get away from this part like every time you get a little bit of the way there as soon as it becomes successful people try and like commoditize it like that's yeah but i I just think it's better even if you look at the it's definitely like a cycle it's like a it's like a wave but i don't think it's a wave that's i think it's going it's trending over the long term towards more decentralized because even think about this like louis ck example or any kind of comedy special right first it was like network tv 
Then it was, oh, maybe it's going to be individuals on their own website. No, it's going to be Netflix. But then it could easily be the next step. And Netflix is definitely better than network TV in terms of that distribution, I would guess. And like what mm-hmm. things get made and who gets mm-hmm. to make something and mm-hmm. who who gets to watch it and when they get to watch it. And so I think it's definitely a pendulum for all these things, but I think it's still trending over the long term towards more direct, you know, more decentralized. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I the thing I always think of is uh, like Jeff Bezos and his the central premise of Amazon and like why he's a billionaire basically is uh, people want things as cheap as possible and as like simply as possible or as quickly as possible, whatever. It's like that is such a stupid, like simple idea, like a no duh concept, but it's like, that's why Amazon is the company it is. It was just like, Oh, people want things to be as cheap as they can be. And they want them as quickly or as fast or whatever. So it's like, we all like the, the Radiohead model of, Oh, just sell it direct to fans. Cause there's like an intellectual purity to that. And it's like, yeah, let's get rid of, the gatekeepers and you know this is great but people just want to come home from a hard day of work and turn on netflix and right, watch what that's comes exactly up and, it, right if yeah. i'm going to buy my favorite stand-up comedians next special on their website how do i get it on my apple tv like this yeah. is going to be really annoying and then i'm going to go i really wish it would have just done this on netflix <laughs> right oh, totally yeah totally obviously louis ck awkward because of sexual misconduct i just wanted to make yes. this abundantly clear like we didn't say we, it i just want to say it so it said right just, just say it so it said yes but still you know it was an interesting example because of the stand-up special yeah yeah and the the other thing that jumped out to me as as like a hmm this feels like this has changed quite a bit and it, i think it's kind of related to all this is the section on the Gruber effect yes, and this idea of... I wondered if you would... If it, I, I, I was wondering... I wasn't sure how to bring this up, so I'm pleased to hear Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, the idea and the talk was just like, you. there is probably an influential person in your niche that could give you a huge boost if you're able to get their attention. And getting John's... John Gruber's attention is much easier than getting Oprah Winfrey's attention or or whoever, like an actual huge celebrity versus someone who's essentially a celebrity, you know, in this little niche. Um, and I don't even think the word influencer existed exist. 10 exist. years ago. And so it's kind not, of not what we're talking time. about. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's changed obviously. And like mm-hmm. the social media context of it, it's no longer like these bloggers, but you know, uh, Instagram or TikTok or YouTube people or whatever. And I don't, I, I feel so kind of out of that world, but for some reason, those people feel much harder to reach than like a John Gruber type. But maybe I'm right. not well, no, thinking but, of it correctly. Or- I mean, if you want to get to an influencer who has 100,000 followers, probably not hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're, you're thinking like, oh, I can't get to these influencers who have 25 million followers. Right, right, right. Yeah, but like John Gruber <laughs> didn't have 25 million readers of Darren yeah. Fireball, right? So like... Kim Kardashian, why aren't you replying to my DMs? <laughs> yeah. I got a great pen. I really think you would <laughs> yeah. enjoy 
<laughs> you know, like, uh, yes, I, what I'm saying is, is I agree with what you're saying, but, like, the thing is, it's just the scale has changed of mm-hmm. what we mm-hmm. think of this stuff to be. And mm-hmm. also, like, the other thing, like, about the influence, like, blogs just aren't what they were. Yeah. Too, right? Now it's YouTube channels, right? And now TikTok. it's YouTubers, yeah. it's TikTokers, it's, it's podcasters. It's, yep. mm-hmm. you know, like, it's just different mm-hmm. medium, but it's the same idea. It's just different medium. And I think the it, the opportunity there is the thing you're saying, Mike, was there such a stratification of success that there's always someone that you could, there's like always a YouTuber that you could get their attention, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a full gradient of them. And the cool thing is their success level can change really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it's a dynamic system. It's not like, in tr- and it probably will become more entrenched and that will probably be less true over time. But mm-hmm. right now, still, you could talk to someone that has a smaller audience and then who knows what where they'll be, you know? And so I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting space. It's not like, oh, uh, there's like companies that are real that you can't get a hold of and they're like, you know, not people really involved. It's like, just like, some email that you're trying to cold email, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so look at our friend David Smith, right? With Widget mm-hmm. Smith. It, yeah. It blew up yeah. because of TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Like one TikToker made a video and then absolutely changed his life overnight, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like it still happens. It just happens differently mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. a blogger writes a link post. Yeah. Right. It's just totally. not. It, that's yeah. just not what it is anymore. But it's yeah, something it's else. But anymore. it's still the same idea. And these things do still draw traffic, but it's not the same as it used to be. Like there is a yeah. bigger impact available to you. You've just got to get to it to unlock it. Thoroughly considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat. You can find out more about this episode by going to relay.fm slash tc slash 86.